Listen. Are you listening? <laughs> This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it is hashtag Taiwan highlights and in the spotlight. But as always, we start off with a brand new episode of Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. If you're just joining us now on our Facebook live stream, welcome to you. Today is Wednesday, June 2nd. Otherwise, if you're tuning in on the, ra on the radio, it is now uh, Thursday, the 3rd of June. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today is the legendary Leslie Liao. Uh, hello, John. Up next, we're going to be telling you about Taiwan's newest planes to go into space. And we'll also be going to be telling you about the extraordinary tale of a five-year-old who's become the youngest child in 10 years to be certified as proficient in one of Taiwan's aboriginal languages. Good, good news for some endangered languages out there. Also, we're going to start off things with a little bit of a retraction. We may have gotten something a bit wrong. Actually, I think they changed their minds. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think... I was going to say, I was joking, John, that this is a, a redaction on my part. Because if you remember, like, maybe two weeks ago, I talked about how... Taiwan it will not be sending a baseball team to the Olympic qualifier happening in Mexico. Yeah, and then it turns out that we are actually. Yeah, um, we're really we're really shaken up about this because baseball is Taiwan's thing. If there's a chance for us to win any medal at this year's Olympics, uh, that's it. It's the national sport, man. People love baseball. But so it's actually good news now that that turns out to have been incorrect and I don't know, should we apologize because it really I think they changed their minds. No, they changed their minds, John. Since our this last is, broadcast. This is, this is not us getting our our decision to broadcast the news was not the issue here their decision whether they've, or not to they've participate re they've rethought well i mean they really should because otherwise i mean i guess we have some archers that are and weightlifters that are good but other than that i can't really think of like what's the point of us coming to the taekwondo have we played have some we? taekwondo for i think we have it's been a while i think but uh you're absolutely right this is this is um one of the big things that was a huge deal when taiwan said that they weren't going to send someone now we are qualifier and well, now they are a little recap first of all we were supposed to host the qualifier then we got covid and then they decided that we we're not going to do that anymore mexico yes. is has mexico sort of the understudy here they've yes. taken over the job of hosting it so yeah. that's where it's going to take place they said that they weren't, we weren't going to be sending people to Mexico to compete, but now we are. Uh, yeah, and get, so, but get this, though. Um, of the people that are being sent, uh, the team that we're fielding will not have any professional baseball players. Well, they're, going to be, um, they're not going to be professionals from the U.S. or the professional league here, the CPBL. Okay. It's basically going to be a team of, uh, dare I say, amateur from the amateur league. From minor league. Yeah, the minor leagues. Well, look, it's been done before. Have you have you seen the Taiwanese film Kano? That's about a legendary Taiwanese baseball team that went all the way to the top too. So we've done it before. Uh, that was how long? What one of that movie? That's like the 1930s. That I think did take place about. a long time ago, huh? Um, yeah. Um, let's see. So it says the national baseball team is to compete in the final qualifying round for the Tokyo Summer Olympics. 
the decision to send a team to Mexico was a dramatic turnaround after Taiwan's CPBL, with backing from all five of its clubs, on Tuesday announced it would not allow players to travel to Mexico due to concerns over COVID-19. Which is silly because we have it here too now. So. We do have it. We do have it. Uh, but the thing is, we, we were supposed to host it here in Taiwan, right? Mm. And the purpose of that is was to... Um, we were supposed to host it, and then the COVID outbreak happened. And then the authorities said that, okay, well, uh, people without Taiwanese passports or without working visas are not allowed into Taiwan. And right. that's why they took it up. The, uh, the World Baseball Softball Confederation, they the shut WSC, the they shut the door. And they're just like, all right, let's move it to Mexico. And then after it moved to Mexico, Taiwan's baseball authorities were just like, you know what? Um, we're not going to go because uh, we're afraid of COVID. But at the same time... I think there must have been a backlash because they did change their mind. Yeah, how, how did that happen? I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, good to clear that out of the air. Um, I just saw it today and said, didn't we say the opposite not that many days ago? Yeah, uh, we did say the, the opposite from, not, from the... Um, sorry, from a few days ago. Um, but remember, this is just a qualifier. This, is, this isn't even to see if we're going to be in the Olympics. This is the the uh, competition to see whether or not we can, can go into the Olympics. And this is, they're cutting it close. It's supposed to be, that thing's supposed to be in July, right? Well, yeah. Assuming things aren't delayed again. Yeah, and this is supposed to happen on June 22nd to June 26th. So they this don't have much the time to prepare. They don't have that much and time to prepare. if they have to, to quarantine for two weeks, they better get packing. I don't know if they have to quarantine we've for got, two weeks. We've got COVID. Of course they've got to have to quarantine for two weeks. Well, he, when they come here or over when there. When they go over there. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about the regulations in Mexico. Yeah. Well, anyway, they're going to have to do a whole lot of quarantining because if they do make it, they're going to head to Japan, I guess, from there, pretty much directly, and uh -huh. have to quarantine all over again. Uh, yeah. yeah, but the thing is, like you said, this is going to be real tight. Don't, they're not giving these guys much time. Uh, they're not. And then uh, they say the biggest name right now would be a former Chicago Cubs prospect, Zen Renhe, a 26-year-old right-hander who currently trains with the farm team. Uh, of the uni president line, so these are not like professional. Like I don't, I don't want to say they're not like first string baseball players. I don't think these are the best that Taiwan has to offer. We have a lot of good baseball, but players, we have a though, lot of so... aspiring baseball players. We have a lot of people who love baseball. We'll see what and, happens. Um, what were the? Who are we up against in this qualifier again? I know Japan's automatically in because J they're Japan's the host nation. Automatically in there. There's uh, Australia, mm -hmm. the Netherlands. And get this, they're still playing qualifying rounds for that tournament in the Americas. And that's starting, uh, that started yesterday, sorry, on, on Monday in, in Florida time. Okay, so we've got the Netherlands, Australia, us, Japan, who else? The, is the U.S. in there, I'm assuming? The they're U.S. Good. is, they're, they're, they're playing the competition right now. A powerhouse there. To qualify okay. for this qualifier So we actually don't even know, <laughs> it's so confusing, to qualify for a qualifier. Yeah. And, they um, should have told this a few months ago. They really should have, but it was. I guess there was just so much backlash for so many people saying that we're not going to attend the C, the, yeah. the WBSC qualifier. That well, they we'll, have we'll to be go. there, and hopefully in the Olympics in a couple weeks' time. Um, how do you feel about that? Because I know Australia just went there. What to the Olympics? To the Olymp They're in Tokyo for the Olympics. Oh, they're right already now. there. Yeah, well, how are they going to play for the qualifier then? They're not. I mean, they already qualified. I guess so. Okay. Oh, well, I don't know. I, I guess uh, if you're going to have to go through two weeks quarantine before competitions start, you better get moving. It's not that far away. Yeah. Taiwan in space. Um, not something you think about very much. I know we have a few satellites up there, but uh, when it comes to space exploration, I don't think we're in the 
tier, top tier there. Uh, but it's we do have a new plans for space. Well, uh, this is um, this is something called the space bill, John. The and space bill. Yeah, it passed its third reading in the legislature, and when it passes the third, when any bill passes the third reading in the legislature, that's basically it's law. done. Yeah. It's done. You know, uh, it's a done deal. It has to be signed, I think, but. Uh yeah, but at that point it's it's so basically it's passed. It's approved. gotten bipartisan support. Okay. So what this does is um it empowers the Ministry of Science and Technology to establish a national rocket launch site. Where would we put that? Uh, I think they they say somewhere on the east right now. Okay. Either that or Miao Li is what they're looking at. Okay, both relatively rural areas where you're not going to disturb too many people. Quiet, you yeah. know. Uh, I think Miao Li's. I I actually I'm. I haven't really been to Miaoli in any. It's it's quiet. It's time. a quiet place. Okay, um, so the bill would confirm the ministry as the authority to oversee local space activities, including the establishment of, of a launch venue and approval of launch plans. So they're basically going to be like the NASA. I wonder what we're going to launch. I thought we already had a space program. They're, they're revamping it or upgrading. Well, it? we've sent satellites into space right. before, and but those piggybacked off of what SpaceX and, uh, yeah. and NASA projects and things like that. Um, those who launch. Oh, okay. So this one establishes a few ground rules. Uh oh. The those who launch a vehicle without obtaining government approval would be fa- would face a fine of one million to ten million new Taiwan dollars. So I'm guessing we're not going to have any local Elon Musk. Yeah, there's no there's no going to be no, no one's amateur- going to be shooting a, a Ferrari or whatever. Amateur rocketeers space. will not be allowed in okay. Taiwan, and that that fine is between thirty six thousand U S dollars and three hundred sixty one U S uh, three hundred sixty one thousand well, U S dollars. To be fair, if you can afford to build and launch a, a homemade rocket, you can probably afford to pay that fine. <laughs> you think so, right? And then get this compensation that an owner of op- or operator of a launch vehicle would be required to pay is capped at 5 billion new Taiwan dollars if their rocket launch causes an accident. Oh my. So, so they're definitely trying to deter amateurs or Well, yeah, cuz that's a, that's a wonder, huge do cap. We have, do we have our own rockets that can get into space yet? I've never heard of such cuz like you said think so. our most recent satellite launches have all been done from the US. Okay. Um. Yeah. They they've all been done from the U.S. and they've been in tandem with like NASA. But there are a few uh, in Taiwan space companies uh, that are active. Um. Questions have been raised over whether the development bill is tailored for space launch services from, uh, firm for Taiwan Innovative Space, which is called Thai Space. Thai Space. So a lot of the 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 concern is just like well we have this Thai space company in Taiwan. Do they build rockets? What do they do? They design rockets. They, they design build them. rockets. Yeah, but the there's worry that this kind of uh, this bill is basically a, like a monopoly protection bill for this company. Really? Well, that's that's what they're worried about, right? Because they say just because you're the first, um, we're 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 rushing to get space regulation. It does say if they need government approval, the government could just approve someone else doing it, couldn't they? That's I don't true. know. <laughs> who uh, knows who has ties with whom? Who knows. But uh, to answer your question, John, Thai Space says that it aims to provide commercial satellite operators with global coverage and 24 hours a day services, enabling on-demand satellite launches. On-demand cool, satellite launches? We haven't been able to do that yet, as far as I can tell. On-demand? Not... Wow. Yeah. On-demand? I th- I th- when demand I think it, of... it gets launched. Well, when I think of on-demand, I'm thinking like Netflix, right? You press a button and the Netflix is there and then you can watch. I'm sure they have to like show. coordinate for a few months at least uh, ahead of time. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a that's a, a great thing that to have because uh, we're 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 trying to indigenize things as we say, whether it's the military building our own submarines and uh, what is it fighter jets. Yeah, and now we got our own rockets. Yeah, space launch. Uh, space 
we're, we're going into space, baby. And get this, <laughs> come on. This article quotes someone, and their title is, his name is Chris Huang. His title is Space Law Expert. I didn't wow. realize that was a thing. It's a branch of law, yeah. Uh, he said probably who, not a very lucrative one. Well, I don't know. Actually, there's a lot of uh, people launching a lot of things up there. So yeah, there's a lot of space junk out there. Sure, you know. And then um, they, I think uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson once said the first trillionaire is going to be the person who figures out how to um, capture space resources, mm-hmm. like metals on an asteroid. Right. Like he, apparently he says there's, there's just. A lucrative of amount of money to be made in that. Um, but Chris Huang said, um, well, he helped. He said that they started working on drafts in, in about for the space law since 2014. And he had referenced the regulations of many governments, including those in Australia, the EU, Japan, and the U.S. So I guess our, our space law is a chimera mm. of, uh, of this one, of space laws from Australia, the EU, Japan, and the U.S. Um and uh, these, this law is going to regulate uh, space, space activities, <laughs> launch vehicles, and uh, he said. And then you I hope know. we build some cool stuff, like not just sat- launch satellites. What do you think? What do you think we can I don't get? Know. Some um, launch something in space. I mean, have we ever done like attempted a, a Mars landing or something like that? No, actually, a, t- a Taiwanese Mars lander that, that would be, be unusual. Fun. That would be pretty great. Uh, yeah. So this is the first step to. Us having some sort of tangible space program, uh, would uh, you believe it? Uh, uh, greater capabilities, I would say. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do much, much more on our own. Well, many, if not most, of Taiwan's indigenous languages are in a bit of bad shape in terms of uh, especially young, proficient speakers. Uh, Definitely skews older when it comes to the number of people who speak these languages well. But we've got good news. A five-year-old boy who is from the Bunun people has become the youngest child in a decade to be certified as proficient in an aboriginal language. Um, And... Uh, he does have a bit of a leg up because he's surrounded by native speakers, which I think can be kind of unusual. He's from mm. Kaohsiung's Namasya district, which is heavily indigenous populated. Uh, and his mother also happens to be a teacher of these languages, of the Bunu language. Help. So, um, yeah, uh, she she takes she goes to everything from kindergartens to junior high school. So she's raised her son carefully to, to be able to speak this language. As far as like the testing goes, I mean, he's five. Uh, and she registered her son, it says last year when I guess he was four, just for fun. Um, that's what she, that's a quote from her. Uh, cause she was going to get her own master level proficiency test. So she registered her, her son as a beginner. Might as well. Still, he was too, I guess, little to be, figure out how to use a computer. It's a computer based test. And so he wasn't able to take it this year. They're doing it again. She taught him how to use a computer and prepared him and he passed it. Uh, and, uh, she says he's already able to use common words and expressions and even tell stories with pictures. So by the time he learns to read and write, uh, he'll be at an intermediate level. Um, and she says that she's encouraging other parents uh, of an indigenous parents to, to speak the languages with their children at home, which I think is a hard thing for a lot of parent age people. It's mostly if you think about it, grandparents, I think, who would be yeah. more likely to be uh, able to speak proficiently. Um, we've got a lot of uh, good news to share. I mean, the young younger speakers are probably uh, the most important when it comes to preserving, keeping these languages going. But they had, uh, you know, more than 5,000 people who passed a certification test in an indigenous language this year. 
Um, about half over 2,000 were in the beginner category, but it's a start. That's not, you know, fluent, but it's a start. And the intermediate category had uh, more than 3,000 successful test takers, the youngest, again, being seven years old. So we got another kid. Um, the Council of Indigenous Peoples, uh, our Indigenous Affairs Ministry, has been like promoting immersion in languages, these languages at the kindergarten level since 2014. So I think that could be part of why we've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old passing. Um, they say it's going to be a golden age for language learning. And they learn for four hours a day in these immersion kindergartens. So, I hope so. Um, that's going to keep these languages going. Um, I mean, don't even just talk about... Uh indigenous languages which of which there have to be uh, do you know how many there are in taiwan officially recognized 16 actually more actually more 16 right um so in my background uh in taiwan we speak mostly mandarin chinese right and that's been government drilled into everyone's head for decades that's now. exactly right they've but only recently in maybe the last 10 or so years been working to reverse that a little bit yeah my, my parents are uh they're, they're from different dialects my, my mom speaks uh southern min which is also known as taiwanese yeah and then hokkien uh and then my dad he's hakka and they speak hakka and I have very limited knowledge of either of these languages. That's a common story. Here. And it's 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 very it's kind of it, it breaks my heart, man. They're doing a lot to like there are whole TV channels devoted to both languages. But if you don't already understand it, it's not very helpful. It's difficult. Kinda... And then not only that, you throw you throw another uh, layer of complexity into it. My grandmother, both my grandmothers actually, they speak Japanese because they grew up when Taiwan was a Japanese mm. colony. And, you know, for my grandmother on my mom's side, her first language was Japanese. Then it was Hokkien. Then it was Mandarin Chinese. Yep. Another common story. So we've seen a lot of language shift over the generations, but mostly towards Mandarin monopoly. And it's kind of not a bad thing for everyone to speak a common language, but just sad that the rest of them are, are suffering as a result. Yeah. Um, um, so you're saying, but... When you say I don't know, I guess I guess I can see this child having a leg up because he's he's in that environment, right? Yeah, I mean, some of them have Wikipedia's now too. Uh, some of these languages, like there are resources out there. The problem is, you uh, really you really have to grow up with it. I think. I mean, you're 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 a polyglot of sorts, John. Not with these languages. The resources aren't many. I mean, if you don't live surrounded by people who speak it. You can hear it maybe once every other every few days on indigenous TV, which yeah, has yeah. news broadcasts. Other than that, there's no chance at all to hear it, except for maybe if you're in Hawaii and a few the odd train announcement. Oh, that's, that's right. I remember Andrew Andrew Ryan's he he hangs out in Taito yeah. a lot, and he's got his his godmother is she's a she oh is she Puyuma? Yeah. I think she's Puyuma, yeah. and um. Just the stories he comes back when he ever comes whenever he comes back from Taiwan is fascinating. He's just like, yeah, the train station makes their announcements in the indigenous language. It's, I mean, it's something, but it's just not a lot, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, uh, to have a really living, breathing language has to be used in all bits of your daily life. Yeah, you know? well, I not mean, just for a few minutes on TV a couple times a week. I would love to be more proficient in Hokkien and Hakka. Yeah. There, there are classes you can take. I've taken some in Hokkien, but they're very, well. The ones I took were very expensive. They're one on one and extremely costly. Extremely, co uh, extremely costly. They, really, they were, for they were pretty. I'm talking like seven thousand NT a month. Taiwanese or Hokkien? Yeah, or, or, or Hokkien. for Taiwanese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about Hakka? Have you? I haven't tried taking lessons in that, but I mean, they, they, the classes are there, but not many. 
for Hakka. It's kind of yeah. It's it's hard if you're not already Hakka and you have that sort of background. Yeah. You know? So you have this just this 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 dichotomy of what's what's happening with the languages. It, it kind of makes me sad, but. I think the Aboriginal languages are, of course, the most urgent They're, in need of saving. Some of them, among them, have very few speakers. A, f- a few of them have very few speakers that are proficient. I, I think I think even one has has less than double digits of the speakers. Some, right? Some cases, I think. Are there any efforts to be to like make dictionaries or preserve oh, those all, languages? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the thing is, young people have to use it. That's 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 the long and short of it. If young people aren't using it, you can have all the dictionaries in, in the world, and you know. Gotcha. Doesn't really make much of a difference. Do we have any interesting comments? Yeah, let's in? take a look. Um, apparently there was an issue with the audio um early on, and I'm sorry. I, uh, hope I I, I jiggled with the dials a little you bit. Jiggled it. Yeah, I went in there and spoke to the hamsters running on the wheels, <laughs> and uh, it should be fixed now. Um, but let us know if there's any more buzzing. Jendalari says in response to the space bill, the amazing adventures of space bill in the 21st century. <laughs> Debashish Kopei says, good space program in Taiwan. It's going to be our first space program in Taiwan. I mean, first, I think, like, I don't know. We, I think we have one. It's just not. It's just not it's like that. They've got some extensive satellites, and they took that picture of that black hole that one time. Oh, that was, and that was, that was from But that Academia was again, Seneca. that was again with uh, international help. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Radhakrishna Pillai N says, which is the first Taiwan satellite? That's a good question. Well, there's a whole bunch of them that are, all have the same names. So well, they're Formosat, right? But there's been like seven of them now. And they're yeah. actually not one satellite. They're clusters of them. That's right. They're like constellations yeah. is what they call them, right? Get a space station up there, then move to the moon and Mars and beyond. Man, a space station... Space stations are like billions of dollars, hundreds of billions I, yeah, of US dollars, I'm not man. sure we have quite that budget. It might but... even be more than Taiwan's GDP, I dare say. <laughs> uh, Josh Bundia, good afternoon, everyone. How's it going, Josh? Um, Debashish Gopay says, I know Chinese language something. What do you know, Debashish? Let us know. Siddhartha Bhattacharji says, good afternoon from India. Hello. Sabino Guo says, I speak good Taiwanese, my mother language, and understand the romanization systems by reading. That is an unusual thing. I think most people who, who do that are, are because of church groups. There's some, I think the Presbyterian Church in particular has done a lot of work uh, creating printed material in the romanized alphabet, but... I mean, and there's a Wikipedia that way too. But my, I think the majority of type native of, of like good Hokkien speakers I know can't can't read that. The romanization. No. It, can they it's, read the? It's it's kind of weird, but like the the the, the I don't know what it's called. They're using the Chinese characters. characters yeah, that's, yeah, that can be hard too because sometimes they kind of it's there's a question of what character is the right one for this yeah, yeah. it can be sometimes seem a bit arbitrary but Jendalari says sadly we have a dialect that's dying in my home state of texas in the 1840s there was a huge influx of germans in ah, the texas hill country texas german texas deutsch apparently is that what, what what's texas german all about do you know that there's a guy there's a video of a guy speaking it that you can find it's called it's on the thing called wiki tongues where they film people speaking that's a bunch of languages. what Jendalari just shared with us uh, Sabina Guo says, learn the romanization systems by myself, by the way. Well, that's pretty good. It's hard. The tones keep changing uh, constantly. Yeah. So the, You like, have to memorize uh, like a graph. It's very complicated. There's a graph? Yeah. A I, know, I mean, graph. in Mandarin Chinese, there's four, for, there's four tones. In Hokkien, there's a tone wheel, and they change depending on what comes, I think, after it. I mean, sorry, before. What? That sounds so complicated. It took me uh, over, well over a week to get it down. It was not easy. Oh, 
Uh, Siddhartha Bhattacharji says, hope you are fine. Uh, from long time, no QSL from your end. Have we? Oh, our QSLs have been kind of mm. backed up. I don't know what the postal system is doing these that days. That too. We're kind of so almost shut down. And Debashish Gopay says, Ni hao shishye, which is, uh, how are you? And thank you. Hello and thank you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Oops. Well, that just about wraps up everything today on this episode of Here in Taiwan. Thanks to everyone who joined and left a comment. I'm John Van Trieste. And I'm Leslie Mayo. Don't go anywhere just yet, because coming up ahead, it is Hashtag Taiwan Highlights and In the Spotlight. Hello and welcome to Hashtag Taiwan. I'm your host, Leslie Liao. Thank you so much for joining me. Every week in this show, we take a look at what's trending online in Taiwan, whether that's a piece of news that's caught the public's attention or the hottest memes going around on social media. This week, we got something pandemic related, and I know we cover more lighthearted topics in this show, but people just couldn't stray away from what we're talking about today on the internet. What are we talking about? We're talking about a phrase called What does that mean? Well, I'm going to cover it in today's show. Also, be sure to stick around towards the end because there's another bonus hashtag right there for you. So we're going to get right into it because today is a lengthy one. The phrase of the week is Translated literally, this means correctional return. RTI has been referring to this as adding backlog cases to previous daily totals. Basically, there's been a delay in COVID-19 testing and authorities are now going back and increasing the numbers on certain dates. The term sounds like bureaucratic hoopla and, well, it kind of is. But there's a huge debate surrounding this term and in fact, it was one of the most Googled terms in Taiwan this week. Since the beginning of the pandemic, Taiwan's Central Epidemic Command Center holds a daily 2 p.m. press conference where officials announce the newly confirmed COVID-19 cases from the day before. The CECC generally just goes, here are how many new cases there are today, and they announce other pandemic things. However, last Saturday, during the daily press conference, they announced 321 confirmed cases, with an additional 400 backlog cases, which were attributed to other days earlier in the week. Health officials said backlog cases happen when high COVID-19 testing volumes causes a delay in reporting. In simple terms, the testing process got jammed up and health officials couldn't get the correct numbers out in time. But a lot of people went, hold up, you can't just correct the numbers to make them sound better than they are. For example, saying 321 plus 400 sounds much better than confirming 721 confirmed cases in a day. People online started memeing the situation. The idea was, well, if the government can correct numbers, then I want to correct numbers too. This meme is an exchange between a couple. The girl asks the boy, how many girlfriends have you had? The boy says, 
just you, baby. And then it says, after getting married, the husband corrected that number to 50 girlfriends. Now that is something you don't want to go back and correct. Just be upfront, be truthful about it. It's easier that way. This meme says, you having lost all that weight preparing to stuff your face with all those backlog calories. Now I have definitely been adding those backlog calories back in ever since we hit level 3, you know what I'm saying? When backlog cases first surfaced, a legislator asked if paid taxes can be returned to the people. To which someone on the internet said, well have you heard of a tax refund? Because it sounds like you might be describing a tax refund. In all seriousness though, backlogging isn't something Taiwan just pulled out of a hat. There's precedent for it from the UK, Japan, and the US. Whether or not they should distinguish between backlog and new cases, I don't really know. But for proper data processing, I do think it's important we know which cases were confirmed on what days. That way we get a much more statistically accurate picture of what's going on. If it were up to me though, I'd go back and correct this whole COVID-19 disease, you know, in general. This thing's just done us no good. Bonus tag! On May 18th, Taiwan announced that schools had to close between May 19th and May 28th. Parents freaked out because they had to work and didn't know what to do with the kids at home. On Tuesday, official extended closures to June 14th. Now, parents in Taiwan look like this. That's all I've got for you this week, guys. Good luck, parents. You're gonna need it. And that just about does it for this week's Hashtag Taiwan. That was kind of fun, wasn't it? There were two topics. It was either the adjustment one or the one about the parents. And I thought both were so fascinating and amusing in their own right, I had to include both. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's Hashtag Taiwan. Like always, guys, follow us on Facebook at either Radio Taiwan International or Taiwan Insider. Or you can watch our YouTube channel at RTI English. Both of those platforms have our great news features and other Taiwan Insider segments like Hashtag Taiwan on them. So I highly encourage that you take a look at them. Anyway guys, that's it for this week. Until next week, stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy. I'll talk to you again very soon. See you around. social distancing today so I'm in this cool part of the station. If you can guess where I am, leave a comment below. But this is where I just had a video interview with one of Taiwan's top epidemiologists, Dr. He Meixiang. She is also a professor of biomedical sciences at Taiwan's leading research institute, the Academia Sinica. Now Taiwan has seen hundreds of daily cases of COVID-19 since May 15th. I asked Dr. He what those numbers signify. It probably signifies that during the previous days, like the days before May the 15th, before we were very much aware of what was going on, probably we were very relaxing and there were lots, lots of what I would call super spreading scenario or super spreading event. In such case, it would be lots of party, lots of uh, interaction with you know people from all all directions and they have lots of um, physical contact they were singing dancing etc and these were all very sort of the situation scenario very conducive for explosive outbreak all the cases we are seeing now 
because we are now about 10 days down, you know, the, 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 since the sort of level three alert. And um, I believe most of the, what we are seeing um, were resulted from May 15th, before May 15th. So of course we have to continue to follow. After May 15th, what is the situation? I believe the transmission was not stopped totally, but I would say the transmission was dampened, hopefully greatly. So if that was the case, we will see the onset symptoms um, occurring between May 23rd to May 28th, you know, about these five days, we were seeing them continuously going down. And in order to see that, to, to be sure that we are not missing people who are still at home, we would have to follow the whole situation probably five days onwards, say until June the 3rd or the 4th, so that we would be sure that the cases we are seeing are stable and would reflect whether our um, level three lockdown is um, effective and whether um, we, we, you know, basically, and whether we are containing the, the, the situation or whether we are not. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Whitney Crothers Dilly is a professor of English literature and film at Sushin University in Taipei. She has been in Taiwan since 1998, and she has written two books about the famous Taiwanese American movie director Ang Lee. She has told me a lot about Ang Lee last week, and it's been fascinating hearing her stories about him. Today, you're going to hear more about Ang Lee from Whitney. One of the most gratifying moments of writing this book was was being able to meet with Ang Lee and then have him say that he told me that he read every page <laughs> and then and then he said that that he thanked me for for writing this book and that you know because I had taken his life and I had tried to see the motivations for his films and and you know theoretical bases for why he made the films this way I was so gratified to to hear his um kind words about my work so, yeah so I hope my listeners heard correctly. Whitney already met Ang Lee three times, not even once, but three <laughs> times, you know. And um, so the first time you met him, was it because of your book that you met him or because he was here in Taiwan for something? Well, and he, that's why you met him. He was here for, a, it was, this was in 2008, he was here for, a, for, for an event to do with the Golden Horse Festival. And oh. that's how I, I met him. The very first time? Yes. 2008? Yes. He, I had shown him the book and then he, he told me, we've been looking for you. Oh. He'd been trying to find me. Yeah. And so we had a, a great talk at that time. You know, that's that's when we talked about the book. And so that was the first time we met. And then later he invited me to a premiere for Taking Woodstock. We had lots of conversations about that film too because yeah. I, I particularly like that film of his work. I'm a real a 60s, um, <laughs> a child of the 60s, and um, I felt that that film was beautiful. Yeah. And so he told me that he was glad 
that that I liked it because I wasn't cynical like all uh, the other Americans who oh. saw that film. But the three times you met him was all in Taiwan, was it? Yes, that's right. Oh, all in wow. Taiwan. Yes. And how did I miss him? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just You'll kidding. You'll get your chance, Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> now I know you. Maybe I'll get a chance to meet him. That's because, right. <laughs> what else can you tell me about Ann Lee? A bit, maybe as a person? Well, um, I know that he feels the whole weight of the Taiwan film industry on his shoulders. Mm. So I, I feel impressed that um, he has done so much to help Taiwan's film industry. And he's been so faithful and hardworking in trying to pour his heart into helping other filmmakers and, and um, making connections and just um, helping to make Taiwan have a higher profile in, in the world. Yeah. And one of the ways he did that, of course, is not just once, but twice, he managed to uh, create a con cultural phenomenon with his films. First, with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, yeah. which became the highest grossing foreign film ever released in the United States. Yeah. Right, So it's amazing that a subtitled film in Mandarin would become something that everyone saw that year in, in, 2000, in 2000. And uh -huh. then also... He did it again with Brokeback Mountain in 2005. Right. Because that film, no one can probably remember how risky or daring it was. Right. The screenplay had been kicked around Hollywood for years and no one dared to make this film. Oh. But Ang Lee had, he was used to taking risks. Yeah. You know, Shirley, one of the things I want you to remember about Ang Lee is that he didn't start making films until he was 37 years old. Right. So he started his career quite late. Yeah. And it seemed like like uh, because he graduated from the Tisch School of Arts um it, when he was 30 and then oh. he couldn't he couldn't get into the film business he couldn't break into the business but what's really exciting is that he went from the age of 37 making his first film in in 1991 with Pushing Hands oh, and then oh right yeah you know, that one too yes so he started out with his Chinese trilogy you know of course that he he wrote his first three films he uh -huh. wrote or co-wrote them uh -huh. because there was a there was a contest in taiwan and um it was a film a screen screenwriting contest uh -huh. put on by the taiwan government really and so he submitted two screenplays to that contest yeah the first one was pushing hands which he wrote just for the contest uh -huh. and then the second one was um the Wedding Banquet, which he just threw in as an afterthought. He thought, uh, no one will want to make this movie, but he threw it in anyway. Yeah. And the his his submissions won first and second prize uh, of this contest. Yeah. And that's why he was able to start his filmmaking career. The thing that we know about him before he started making film was that for, well, it seems like for seven years instead of eight, anyway, about there, seven or eight years, that he was more like a, not a housewife, you call it a house husband? Yes, that's exactly right. I know, I love that. You know, and... It's um, so and interesting, because that, that's an embarrassment in Chinese culture. Yes. You're supposed to depend on your wife's right. paycheck. Yes. But his wife was just so supportive and everything. Yes, it's that's just right. Not, so not easy. I'm so glad you brought that up, because that's one of my favorite parts of his story, is that he, he was thinking about giving up, and he'd actually gotten a, a brochure for a computer course at a community college. Oh, I heard about that. And his wife threw that away and said, you're oh. going to follow your dreams. And, <gasps> and he did. And I, I can't believe she had yeah. so much persistence. And, and she just really kept encouraging him. It's just like how, you know, I've been back in time 30 years. But um, you know about Taiwanese parents. Um, they used to be have high expectations of the kids where... 
they only care about your studies. Yes, exactly. And they only look up to like, you know, for the kids to become doctors or lawyers. But I think over time, that has changed. And Taiwanese parents are now encouraged to really support whatever their children's interests are. I'm glad to hear that. You know, and which I'm glad too. Basically, his risk taking, I just, I feel like that comes out of such a, you know, sort of being able to risk everything because he already knew from the age of 30 to 37 how, how, you know, how much he wanted to have this dream come true. And yet he wasn't given the chance. And so then once the gates were opened, I just felt like he was released and he made a film per year a film per year for the first six years of his life. Well, um, the first six he years did, of his huh? career, he, he he basically, except for one one film that took two years, but yeah. but he, he, out of the gate, was making a film per year, which is extraordinary. He made Pushing Hands, Wedding Banquet, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, Sense and Sensibility, and oh, The right. Ice Storm. Yeah. He just, oh, wow. You know, one after the next. And those are all such different types of films. I mean, Sense and Sensibility is a, is a oh, British that one. classic, you yeah. know, Jane Austen. And The Ice Storm is 1970s Watergate uh-huh. scandal film. You he know? is a so, risk taker. Yes, he I mean, is. You know, he even touched on the British culture and all that kind of stuff. That's amazing. Well, you're a risk taker yourself. Look at how you stayed on to learn Chinese and here you are still in Taiwan. No wonder you can relate to him. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and appreciate right. that part about him. Well, the other thing I really appreciate about him, and I and this I must say, is is that he is so humble. Oh, and, yeah. And this has been a, an amazing blessing for everyone, for the film industry, because what kind of director is humble? And mm. yet he is. And when I heard his, his reception, receiving this um the speech that he gave to receive his BAFTA fellowship award that humility came through again you know like he's at the top of his field receiving Mm. an award that has been given to Charlie Chaplin Alfred Hitchcock Steven Spielberg and Stanley Kubrick these American artists oh and he stands in the pantheon with these Uh but he was so humble when he when he um gave his uh, reception speech. He thanked his family and he said that he hoped everyone can be healthy and safe in this challenging time. Oh, yeah. Which really touched me. Right, right. He used the reception speech as a way to... To to show his care for humanity. Exactly. Precisely. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Yeah, I, I appreciate the way that he tries to promote Taiwan so much for all the foreign filmmakers to come and make movies here in Taiwan and, and say how Taiwan is great and everything. You know, we appreciate that, you know, in the, even though he makes America his home, but he never forgets his root, you know, and he loves it and promotes it so much. And that's that's what really encourages him and just make us love him more, you know. Oh, I know. I mean, town is locals, you know, love him so yes. much more. And then he keeps taking risks because yeah. when he made Life of Pi, he right. made it here in Taichung. And then yeah. he, you know, used that old airport to right, build right. a whole film studio yeah. with the ocean, you know. Right, right. And, and he managed to you know, promote Taichung City yeah. so much that the uh, the mayor of the city was, was giving him awards as well. <laughs> I mean, and also because of that, others have been able to make films in that studio. And yeah. I think he was, he attracted Martin Scorsese to come right, and make right. Silence here as yes, well. That's right. So, so he's, he's given so much to Taiwan. I know. He's incredible. He really is. So, um, 
Are you planning to write another book about Ang Lee? Well, this is my second book about Ang Lee. I mean, this is this is the second edition. There was an earlier edition. Here's yes. the cover uh-huh. uh, when he was younger. Yeah, so, look so at this, him. So, this, so much younger. This yeah. one came out when he made Brokeback Mountain. Okay. And this one came out when he made um, Life of Pi. Oh, okay. So it was perfect timing because it was... This one was for the first Best Director Oscar and this one for the second. Yeah. I, I didn't do that on purpose. Again, it was Yuan Fen. <laughs> so Fate. so yeah. then that's what happened. You know, mm-hmm. uh, he he just keeps going. Yeah. And, and who knows? You know, he does so many genres. I mean, you and yeah. you must be impressed as well that he can just keep on reinventing himself. Yeah, it's and incredible. This guy's the limit. He's just talented. So talented. Absolutely. So... Do you know what's in the works with Ang Lee? Well, do you know what's next? As far as do I you know, have the, do you have the secrets? <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know, he was working on this film that he wanted he wanted to have set in the Philippines. Oh, it, it was mm. called Thriller in Manila about that event. There was a a boxing match with Muhammad Ali, <gasps> and so he wanted to make that into a three D film using his three D skills that he's been honing really? and make a very realistic. Um, portrayal of that historical event and we know that he does deeply dive into his historical films which he did with watergate the vietnam war the american civil war world war ii china with lust caution Uh you know so he he really dives into the period and i just feel like that that is a very exciting idea i i'm not sure um when that film will be released but he that's what he has expressed interest in oh wow I've not heard anything about the next thing that he's making, but you you know. You well, have... he's, he's had that idea for several years, so, so oh. I think he said that, that what he wants to do that next, but, but we, don't, we don't know what stage it's at at this oh, point. Oh, okay. I thought you have some kind of, you know, channels of knowing these things that <laughs> Ang Lee's doing. Um, so besides liking Ang Lee, what else do you like about Taiwan? Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> um, well, I just feel like this place has given me a part of my identity. I mean, I I joked that I am one third Taiwanese, and, <laughs> and um, I I've lived here for at least one third of my life. Mm. Um, I I feel that in the early days I was changed by Chinese culture and some of the best aspects of Chinese culture. For example, Xiao Shun. Uh-huh. Um, filial piety, yes, filial piety. Um, honoring your parents. Mm. So staying here and seeing how people um, would give part of their paycheck to their parents mm. every month, yes. that really struck me. Americans uh-huh. don't do that, you know. Mm. And so I really got a, a kind of a an open mind towards, you know, how I can care for my parents. You know, they've noticed it. You know, they're just like, Whitney, you've, you've changed. You know, so, <laughs> so that, you know, I, I changed from being an independent American mm. to being um, much more family oriented. And yeah. yeah, that that's one aspect. And uh-huh. of course, the food. I mean, <laughs> yes. Where do we get started? You know? <laughs> well, I mean, each to their own. I think American culture has the good thing that I admire. Oh, yes. You know, mm-hmm. having lived in the States for 10 years is that openness and um, and the fact that when the children get to a certain age, like 18, yes, you know, parents kind of like, okay, you're on your own. So they throw them into learning independence, which I think is good. Yes. Well, that's true. <laughs> Another concept that I thought was really interesting when I first got here was the concept of guanxi or relationships, mm. because I never understood why, how it felt to have responsibility to so many people in your family and just in, in your life. And I imagine it like a big spider web. If you move one 
part, then it, it waves everybody in the air. So I'm very careful now because I, I understand this much more. I was very insensitive about this when I first got here. Mm. But I understand the pressure that people are under and how oh, yeah. everything they do affects the people around them. Gosh, I wish I had more time to talk to you, Whitney, but, um, you know, we come to the end. Okay. But uh, I must say that this has been a wonderful time talking to you and hearing you share so much about, not just about Ang Lee, but about yourself. Thank you so okay. much for giving me well, this thank opportunity. thank you, Whitney. Yeah, let's keep in touch. Yes, we definitely will. All right. Well, thank, thank you. you so much, Whitney. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.